Our first reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 41, verses 15 to 28. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven good ears. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Our second reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 32, and can be found on page 1028. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, just come this morning. Take the words I say and just take away the waffle that I put in. Um, and may they be your words, Lord. Amen. Right, before I actually start, I would just like to say thank you so much to all the people who have prayed for my husband so faithfully for 40 days. I can't tell you he's healed. Um, I always knew that was a possibility at the beginning. But I do believe not a single prayer goes wasted. So I want to thank you all for those of you that prayed. It was, for me, it was tremendous. It really gave me such an encouragement 
And, and I've been really, really encouraged by the other healings that we've heard of since. So thank you all so much. Right, back to Joseph. So my question today is, are you, and I mean me as well, a seer? Do we have words and pictures from God? Because the Bible is absolutely full of pictures, dreams, visions. Um, it just goes on and on. And today's not quite like that. But it says in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So what does it mean for us today? Does he still reveal his plans? Joseph certainly had things revealed to him. But we don't seem to hear things in the same way anymore. And the people of the Bible seem to have an intimate knowledge of Jesus. It was just different somehow. And, and it's, really, it's really puzzled me over the last few weeks as we've talked about Abraham and how God spoke to them um, just in a different way. So let's have a look at Joseph. What an interesting character. So many people know about Joseph, mostly because he had a coloured coat. Um, but, you know, they do know of him. But actually, we don't have many details. We know his grandfather. We know his father. And we know that he was the youngest of one of 12 brothers. But we don't hear anything about him until he's 17. We know he was a shepherd and that his father loved him more than all the others. And we know that his older brothers hated them, hated him. Um, they're an interesting bunch of characters on their own. But, but the bit I really want to think about is the dreams. So the story starts with Joseph and his dreams. Firstly, he, dre he dreamt that he and his brothers were out working with these 12 sheaves of corn. And they all bowed down to his sheaf. So his brothers are unsurprisingly not amused. And then he adds insult to injury by having a second dream in which the sun, moon and the stars all bow down to him. And even his father gets upset at that point. So an interesting start to his career in, in dreams, um, upsetting everybody. And then we learnt last week that he was sold into slavery. He went to Egypt. And Potiphar, Pharaoh's captain of the guard, bought him as a slave. But there's some interesting little verses as we go through the story. And in chapter 39, verse 2, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph, and Potiphar saw this. So there must have been something about Joseph. Why did he pick Joseph out of all that crowd of slaves? The fact that, that Potiphar saw that there was something different about him. Wouldn't it be great to be recognized like that if people looked at us and said, Yeah, God's with them? Um, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? But the story goes on. Joseph becomes important. He ends up running the household. And everything goes well for Potiphar while Joseph is in control. His wife takes a fancy to Joseph. She makes advances. He doesn't, um, he doesn't respond. She doesn't like that. And he's ended up thrown in jail. And that's where we left him last week. Well, he was human. He was a young man. He must have felt the injustice of all of this so keenly. And yet, God is with him in jail. And he begins to work well in the prison. He gets recognized. And it says, the Lord was with him. 
He showed him kindness and granted him favor with the warden. And before we know it, uh, Joseph is in charge of half the prison as well. So things went well for him, but in really difficult circumstances. Sometime later, the king's cupbearer and the baker were both thrown into prison, and Joseph was assigned to look after them, and they have dreams. And Joseph meets them the next morning and asks them what the problem is, and they tell him, well, we've had dreams, and um, nobody can interpret them. But Joseph has this absolute certainty. God is going to tell him what they mean. How close he must have been to God, how in tune with God. It was something so amazing that even in a prison, he knows that God is with him. So first of all, the cupbearer. Well, that one was okay. He dreamt about a vine with three branches. He picked the grapes, squeezes the grapes, gives them to Pharaoh in his cup. And Joseph says, well, three branches, that's three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will get you out of here and you'll be back working as the cupbearer. And then Joseph, there's just a little touch of Joseph's human weakness comes in and he says, but when you get there, remember me, I'm stuck in this prison and I'm, I'm, I'm here unjustly, don't just leave me here. But the story goes on. The chief baker tells Joseph his dream, presumably expecting a similar outcome. And I take my hat off to Joseph at this point. How would you like to deliver this bit of news? Well, there are three baskets. These are three days. And after three days, you will get out of here. Unfortunately for you, Pharaoh is going to take your head off and the birds are going to eat your flesh. Not an easy thing to tell anybody at the best of times. Um, but Joseph is truthful. He, he gives the interpretation that God has told him. And it all happens as he has foretold. But poor old Joseph is forgotten about and left in, in jail. How do you think Joseph felt at this, this point in time? I'm pretty sure by now I'd have been very delusioned, disillusioned, very fed up, and I would think God had abandoned me. So much for my dreams of all my brothers bowing down. None of that's likely to happen anymore. But Joseph just seems to carry on. Two years pass, and then we get to Pharaoh's dream. And he dreams about the the seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows and the same with the ears of corn. And he wakes up very troubled, can't find anybody to interpret his dreams. And I guess in that era, dreams were looked at very differently from today. Nowadays, we have dreams and we can't remember them when we wake up or we just don't think anything about them. But I think in that era, they would have been much more aware of of the spiritual sides of things, and uh, dreams would have been important. But the magicians can't tell him what it's all about. And then the cupbearer says, Pharaoh, I remember there was a man, a Hebrew man called Joseph, who was in prison, and he interpreted my dream. So Joseph is hauled out of prison, made respectable, sent into Pharaoh, And interestingly, he isn't overawed by this. Um, After years in prison, and then you're suddenly put in front of the main person, you'd think you'd be a bit sort of, bit taken aback. But he tells Pharaoh, he can't interpret the dreams, but God can. So, and he explains there'll be the seven good years, and then followed by the seven years of famine, and that it's happened two dreams because it's important. It's happening soon. 
And then he carries on and he tells Pharaoh what to do about it. That he should put people out there who will look after the crops and and make sure they've got plenty for the, the lean years. And then Pharaoh says in verse 38, Can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God. So after all those years in prison, after all the difficult circumstances he's gone through, it's still apparent to people that he has got the Spirit of God within him. So he came straight out of prison. He was a foreigner, and he's suddenly become second most important person in the land. What a roller coaster of a life. We, we have our ups and downs, but nothing on this scale. Well, by now he was 30. So then you have the seven good years, and he's 37, which is 20 years since he had his first dreams. And he hasn't seen any realisation of those dreams. Pharaoh, on the other hand, had had his dream and it was straight away, it happened. So sometimes God tells us things for the future, sometimes it's present. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I sort of, I can look back at times in my life when somebody has given me a prophetic word or something like that and I don't see anything. And then years later... You're doing something and you think, oh yes, that, that was something that somebody said you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever. So don't give up on things. If you, if you have a dream, if you have a vision or somebody says something to you, just keep it there because it, it doesn't always happen straight away. Well, the Bible is full of these dreams. Joseph had them. He had his visions. If you read through all the Bible, there is no end of um, dreams and visions. But what about today? Does God still use dreams and vision? Why do I find it so much harder to hear God than Joseph apparently did? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Well, if we love God and if we follow God, we're his sheep. And that statement says, my sheep hear my voice. So there is a sort of, uh, you know, there, there is almost a promise there. My sheep hear my voice. They will hear my voice. So we should be hearing God's voice. But how? How do we know what it sounds like? Well, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it's a very well-known verse. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Sorry for us old women. We don't seem to come into the the thing so much. But at least women get a mention at the end. But, But, I mean, that sort of implies that nowadays... We should be even more in tune with hearing God than in the old days because now God's poured his spirit out on all of us. So I, I sort of got to wondering why, why do we not see this? Why don't we have this certainty that Joseph, Abraham, all those sort of people did? But then I read John chapter 17, verse 3, and it really made me think. Jesus says... This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And the word know you 
is a real intimate knowledge. It's not just a passing acquaintance. It's a real close knowledge of someone. Now, I've always thought, I think, of eternal life as something that happens to me when I'm dead and gone. Um, you know, I'll go to be with Jesus and I'll be with him forever. And I'm sure that's, that's part of it. But it's much more than that. Jesus is talking about the here and now. Eternal life is us being involved in an intimate, growing relationship with God. And that has to involve two-way communication. You can't have an intimate relationship with anybody if you don't communicate. It would soon die, wouldn't it? You, you, have, to be, you have to be on tune with somebody. So we need to be part of this intimate relationship with God. And it's only as we spend time in his presence that our relationship grows. And as, as it grows, we get close enough to God that we can hear him, that we know what he wants us to do, that we know how to react in situations, and we should then be doing his will. So what gets in the way? Why don't we find this so easy? It sounds great. I would love to be in that place. Well, I think one of the problems is in, in the Western world, we think, we reason everything, we, we rationalize, we try and work things out. And I think we need to go back a step and relearn the spiritual dimension of God's spirit, just communing directly with our spirits and the brain comes after. I think we tend to want to put the brain in beforehand. I'm not saying we have to throw our brains out the window. God has given us a brain and he expects us to use it. But I think there is that innate um, communication is from God's spirit to our spirit. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. Isn't that amazing that we have a Holy Spirit in us all the time? And you know, somebody did an analysis on the New Testament and found out that 49% of the verses of the New Testament carry a reference to spiritual things. I don't know. I haven't checked that, I have to say. So if we are stuck in reasoning and working things out, half of the New Testament is going to be a bit out of our reach. So you just have to sort of, we have to deal with the fact that we don't understand everything, but just allow the spirit to speak to our spirit. I think God uses physical senses as well to talk to us. I don't know about you, but if you look out and you see a rainbow or sunsets or mountains or things like that, that's God telling you how much he loves you because it's just so amazing. It sort of feels like he's saying, I, I've done all this for you. So, you know, I think our, spirit, our physical senses are really important. But I think we have an inner sense, too, that God really wants to open up. And Paul writes about the eyes of our heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which he has called you. And I think it's as the eyes of our heart are open that we will begin to see visions, to dream dreams, to hear words. It's, it's all those things where it's coming direct 
directly into our, our heart. Jesus said, and he was our perfect example, that he did what he saw the Father do. And he said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. But that's not literal, is it? Because, we, because people, the disciples saw Jesus, they didn't see the Father. So it has to be talking about these inner eyes. And we have to develop these senses. Now you're going to say, how do we do that? I don't have the answers. It's a journey, and I'm only learning as I go along. But there are some things that I think God has sort of been putting on my heart. Firstly, we have to believe that God wants to talk to us. It's an act of faith. If you look at Genesis, God actually chose to walk walk in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He actually wanted their company. Now, it all got spoiled, obviously, and um, that didn't continue in the same way. But when Jesus died and he paid the price, the ultimate sacrifice, I believe we got a second chance. We've got a new chance of having that intimate relationship. But we have to believe that God wants to talk to us. We have to be expectant. We have to believe that he was going to give us dreams and visions. He's going to give us prophetic words. If we sit and shut our eyes and say, oh, well, that only happens to Joe Bloggs, that won't happen to me. Well, it probably won't. Um, So we have to be expectant. We have to want to, to communicate with God. But we need to also be still. I don't know about you, when you have a quiet time, I can spend a lot of the time talking to God. Um, I'm very good at doing that. It's much harder to sit and spend time listening to God. Um, And I think that's a real learning thing for us to do, to actually stop and be still. And one of the ways I've found that helps me is to journal, because it shuts my mouth up and lets me use a pen instead. And, And I find that if I sit there with a blank piece of paper and a pen or a pencil, God does actually put words, and I do write. Um, and I, I think that is one of the ways of sort of giving God space and time. It doesn't work for everybody. Some people might want to sit and draw a picture. Mine wouldn't resemble anything, so that's you know, not, not me. But certainly, you know, we've got to give God time. And we could also allow God to use our imagination God made our imagination. He gave it to us. We can try. You can try reading a Bible story and sit and just imagine it. Imagine what it was like for the disciples. Try and get that picture into your head. And then give God permission to to take your imagination where he wants to take it. Not to be afraid of things, but to just, just allow God to come in and really develop the eyes of our heart. Let's get excited. Let's be a people who hear from God, who dream dreams, who see visions, who hear words. There are so many different ways God wants to talk to us. It all needs to be weighed and tested, and sometimes we'll get things wrong. There's, you know, I'm sure of that. But let's learn to be an intimate people who have a relationship with the Heavenly Father so that we can move in his will, so that we can have the mind of Christ. Let's just pray.
Father, just take my words and just show people what you want to say to them. Father, may we become people who, like Joseph, have a close relationship with you, who are able to trust that whatever is going on, you are in control, whether our life is easy or tricky as it is at the moment. Father, I just pray for a real release of dreams and visions and words as we grow closer to you and you speak into our lives individually and as a church family. Thank you that your heart is to know us intimately. Amen.